0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Amen. On Ash Wednesday, the Archdeacon preached a powerful sermon. He reminded us that the task of Lent is to rend our hearts, to open them fully to God in humility and obedience. There is another task of Lent I want to speak about today, the task of changing our minds. Over the next interval, we are to be taking in our own spiritual lives the 40-day journey of Jesus. As he emerged from the wilderness with what Paul termed the mind of Christ, so we are to emerge on Monday, Thursday, sitting at table with Jesus, disciples who have within them the mind of Christ. What happened to Jesus stands as the perfect model for what needs to happen to us who call ourselves Christians. So let's first consider what went on for Jesus during his journey in the wilderness by using a fundamental piece of theology and some reflection on today's gospel. Next, let's ask whether we can take entirely seriously the idea that Jesus' journey can serve as a model for our own. Fact is, he's God. Fact is, very obviously, we're not. Finally, if we can still conclude that Jesus stands as a model that we are truly meant to follow, what steps do we have to take? As a practical matter, how do we lay ourselves, our own how do we lay aside our own self-focused minds and put on the mind of Christ? First, what went on for Jesus in the wilderness? To begin to answer this question, let's look back a few verses in Mark's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel. Jesus arises from his baptism by John, and as Matthew three sixteen seventeen 17 tells us, he went up immediately from the water... And behold, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. It is just then that Jesus, in Matthew's text, is led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Mark's language describing the same moment is stronger. In 1.12 he writes, the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. Instead of Matthew's verb, anekthe, lead, Mark uses the verb ekbale, which means forced to leave, drive out, expel. There is nothing soft or easy going on in Mark's Gospel. As he writes it, Jesus is being driven by the Spirit, compelled I think the word compelled probably comes closer to describing how the humanity of Jesus experienced that moment. Consider the situation. Our theology tells us that Jesus was a man with all of our human properties except for the manner of his conception and the fact that he committed no sin. But apart from one brief account in Luke We know absolutely nothing about Jesus' life as a man from his infancy until now. Of course, we know who he was. We know the story of his life. We have read the Gospels to the end. We have 2,000 years of Christian reflection to help us understand his identity pretty well. We know he was God and man. But standing at the Jordan 2,000 years ago, What did Jesus make of hearing from God that he, Jesus, was both God and man? Until that time, best we might guess, Jesus had spent his whole life living just as a man and therefore probably thinking of himself as just a man. Would hearing that he was both God and man have made immediate and obvious sense to him? And if he understood somehow what in concept this meant, would he have any idea about just what it meant for the rest of his life? Did Jesus get it right away, or did he have to figure it out? If Jesus was like us in all ways, but for how he was conceived and the absence of sin, I think we might conclude that he had to figure it out. No man or woman is born with a full understanding of his or her identity and its implications. These are things that we have to learn about ourselves. We are always in the business of discovering ourselves and growing in new ways as we continue to understand ourselves in new ways. If Jesus was truly as human as we, then it is possible to conclude that though he was God and man from all eternity— and from the beginnings of his life on earth, his humanity might not have grasped that fact right from the start of his life on earth. At the Jordan, the Father speaks and Jesus listens. As I imagine it, Jesus in his humanity was entirely upended by what he hears. What he in his humanity has heard was, I think, nothing short of what we might call mind-bending. If this is what was going on at the Jordan, then Jesus is driven into the wilderness because his humanity has just had an epiphany about everything that he is, and his humanity needs time and space to figure out what it all means and what it implies for his life. When Jesus emerges from the wilderness, what about him has changed? If he walks into the wilderness with a mind reeling from the words God has spoken, the gospel makes clear that he walks out of the wilderness with what Paul in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, terms the mind of Christ. That mind, the mind of Christ, is the mind that holds both the absolute awareness of being God and the absolute will not to demand the power and the glory that belong to God by nature, but rather to live a fully human life. In the language of the King James Version, Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The mind of Christ is the mind of God to which are attached the very human attitudes of sacrifice, humility, and obedience. We can see the mind of Christ at work in Jesus' replies to the three temptations of the devil. In each case, what Jesus says combines explicit statements that he is determined to live just as a man, with word choices in each statement that refer to complete awareness that he is God. In the spoken sentences, we hear that he wills to live as a man. In the spoken words of those sentences, we hear that he knows very well that he is God. Response to temptation one. He will live by God's words. He will not make bread from stones but it just so happens that he is the bread of life the bread come down from heaven john 6:35 following response to temptation 2 he will not tempt god he will not manipulate an angelic rescue mission but it just so happens that he has at his disposal and for the asking 12 legions of angels matthew 26:53 Response to temptation three, he will obey God and God alone. He will not worship the devil to obtain power over all the kingdoms of the world. But it just so happens that he knows his destiny is to be king of Israel and over all the earth. John one forty nine, Matthew 19.28. So it is the mind of Christ that Jesus has fully in his possession. Knowing he is in the form of God, willing to live just as a man. We learn in the Gospels how that mind guides Jesus' journey from the outer edge of the wilderness to Calvary. God's steadfast servant, proclaiming the kingdom, using his divine power always and only for the benefit of others, dying for us on the cross, rising for our sakes on Easter morning. The world-shaping power of God travels side by side with the human ways of sacrifice, humility, and obedience. This takes us to our second question. Jesus is Lord, so can we really believe that the 40-day journey that he took serve as a model for our own Lenten journey? Can we find in his transformation a roadmap for our own? Yeah, I think we can. Like Jesus coming out of the wilderness, we are to become people whose minds are changed. Not that we are come to believe that we are in the form of God, but that we come to understand with full force that we have been made in God's image and likeness. There is a representation of the divine already within our humanity. And when we recognize this, We also come to understand that being formed in God's image creates a human obligation to live up to that image and into that image. And Christ in the wilderness demonstrates that it is humanly possible to achieve that objective. It is Jesus in all his humanity who defeats the devil, not by calling down the awesome power of his divinity but entirely by maintaining the allegiance all humans owe to God. So we cannot say that his example doesn't apply. We can't claim that we are too rooted to the earth, too trapped in our egos, too in love with our sins, to ever live the life that Christ in his humanity has shown us how to live. This leads to the third of our questions. It is one thing to say that it's possible for us to aspire to the mind of Christ, but how exactly do we take hold of that and bring it within ourselves? With all the will in the world, we already know that we can't reach that goal on our own. Thank God we also know that we don't have to reach it on our own. In 1 Corinthians 2, 10-11, Paul tells us that the Spirit comprehends the thoughts of God. In 2.12, he says that we have received that very Spirit. In 2.16, he states flatly that we have the mind of Christ. He tells us that this mind is already in us as a gift of grace. Our job is to want to our depths to take hold of that gift and to allow the Spirit and the power of that mind to change our minds to their very depth. Some practical suggestions about taking hold of that gift during Lent. First, no surprise, we need to pray. If we find that the idea of giving our own minds over to God is scary business, and it is scary business, we might try praying every day for reassurance that we really will be okay on the other side of such a great change. We might pray that God will bring us closer to trusting Him and surrendering ourselves to Him. If we are at peace with the idea of surrender, we probably need to pray harder still. For all our days we are frail beings. Sin is always crouching at the door. No matter how far we may have come on our own spiritual journeys, we remain always on the edge of letting our own minds take over running the show rather than trusting to the mind of God. Secondly, we need to get to know the mind of Christ better than we do. We need to turn to Scripture every day. We need to learn his mind from the prophets who foreshadowed him and from the apostles who walked with him, who recorded his words, and who came to understand him. If our concern is with shaping our personal character, James 3:17 and Galatians 5:22-23 describe the attributes of a Christ-like mind. If our concern is to learn how to meet Christ as how to learn to meet as Christ would meet the ups and downs of our daily lives, we can turn to life applications Bibles, ones with annotations or indexes to scriptures that address every manner of life situation. Whatever spot we find ourselves in, however much we may have thought it through for ourselves, we do well to read what God's mind is on that very subject. Third, we need to nourish ourselves for the effort. There is no more powerful a prescription for putting our minds in the knowledge and love of Christ than partaking in his body and blood in the sacraments of the altar. There is nothing on earth that brings him more closely into us and we into him. It is important to enter into this kind of communion as often as we can. Finally, we need to find ways to remind ourselves constantly of our desire and commitment to be shaped by a mind far greater than our own. We're very used to living solely in our own minds. It's a habit, and habits are hard to break. Reminders that come from the outside can often be very useful in situations like this, in which we're trying to do things very differently. A cross hung around our necks that periodically thumps against our chests, an icon that sits in front of us on our desks, a picture or a prayer or some lines from scripture that have been placed into the notebook we use every day. Just a few ideas. Not everybody gets reminded in the same way. The important thing is to discover what sorts of things work for us, and then to place those things around us very closely, so closely that there is no way to miss them. They are there to call us back to the right path when we otherwise might be inclined to forget. When I began this talk, I said that one task for Lent is to change our minds. Our task is to be at table on Monday, Thursday, sitting with Jesus, disciples who have come to possess the mind of Christ. When I think about that evening and what it might be like, I can imagine nothing more beautiful than to hear Jesus say to each and every one of us, Well done, my good and faithful servants. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.